Harvest Peoria, it is such a delight to be with you here today on behalf of Harvest Indianapolis West. Uh, howdy. Um, we love Midwest people, and uh, it doesn't get more brave and more Midwest than what's going on outside right now. And we are just totally honored to be with you here. As Tim mentioned, uh, we've got Brock and Erica. We're planting on the south. We've got a harvest on the west, a harvest on the north. We are conquering Indianapolis. And we are just excited about what the Lord is doing here with you. Uh, not only here, but as you are planting churches. And may God be glorified in it all. Just a quick word. I want to say thank you for just your kindness and your hospitality and allowing us to be here with my wife and Brock and Erica. Your staff is just a lovely staff. Uh, Tim and Jonna, we are just very close with them. They're very special people. And I know that you miss your pastor preaching on Sundays. And uh, hang in there one more Sunday. Put up with me, please. And, uh, but he is a special guy, and I'm sure you are looking forward to him being back, aren't you? Absolutely. Well, I'd like to begin by asking you, less of us, more of Jesus, by opening your Bibles to Mark chapter 5, Mark chapter 5. And in a day like today when it is a snowmageddon going on out there and you've braved it, you are adventuresome people, that's obviously the case. We're going to go on a continued adventure together. And let me just say this, I have one purpose for you today as we dive into God's Word and it's this. And that you and I would walk out of this service this morning more amazed by Jesus Christ than when we walked in. I mean, that's really it. So today's a perfect day. It's kind of like the snow's out there, the family's together, and we're just going to center on God's word. We are going to learn more about Jesus, and I'm going to tell you, watch this dude. Jesus is amazing, amazing. Well, Mark chapter 5, we're going to be there here in just a second, and I'm actually continuing the story that I preached here two years ago. I'm sure you remember that. I can't even remember what I preached on two weeks ago, but two years ago, we had gone through, I had the opportunity when Tim was having surgery before, to take you through the crossing of the Sea of Galilee, the end of Mark chapter 4, and when I'm thinking about what are we going to talk about today, I'm like, I know, let's just continue the story story. Uh, I'm a simple guy, and I just love narrative. I love following Jesus, so that's what we're going to do. We're just going to follow the story and see what's going on. So let me remind us of what's happening here. Uh, Mark chapter what comes before chapter 5? Chapter 4. Awesome. You guys are with it. Mark chapter 4, if you just take a quick peek there, you'll see at the beginning portion of that, it's the parable of the four soils. How many soils? Four of them. And Jesus talks about these soils. Uh, here are the four of them. The first one is the hard heart. Uh, the, the, the parable, parables, by the way, are stories that teach. Uh, the Father sows the Word, sows Jesus Christ. The soils are different kinds of people. The first soil is the hard heart. Basically, the Word of God comes. Christ is, uh, the gospel comes to them, and they're like, uh, no interest. Good for you, not for me. And that's the hard heart. And the next one in, is the shallow heart. It talks about in the context there, they're, they're one who, who kind of receives with joy. I put it this way. They jump on the Jesus bicycle, 
and they get riding the Jesus bicycle, and then after a little bit, wham, they get hit with a water balloon of tribulation or persecution because of the word. They get knocked over, they scrape their knee, and they cry, and they say, I never planned to have this happen. I'm out. And they grab their bike, and they run home. And Jesus is like, not that, not that. And then the third soil is the crowded heart. By the way, this is so America. Uh, we jump on the Jesus bicycle, and then the cares of the world, the, the, the attraction of things, the dece- deceitfulness of riches. It's like we're riding along, and it's so beautiful. And then we just get distracted. And the truth of the matter is, is Jesus is just one other thing that we manage He is not the thing. He's just one more thing. There's no perseverance. Really, it's just a charade. Jesus is not about that. And Jesus is moving all of this to the fourth soil. And the fourth soil is the the rich soil. And, And picture this. It's like the person where the seed falls in its dark, rich Midwest soil, right? And it's like the seed falls in and and the soil receives the seed. And what does the soil do? The soil puts everything of itself into the seed, its nutrients, its its moisture. And, And the seed, the word, Jesus Christ, begins to grow and begins to penetrate over time, growing and changing, penetrating the soil, shooting out of it, growing, uh, growing this uh, plant, this tree, this whatever it is out of it, but there's growth there. It produces fruit. Its roots are reaching in every area of our lives. And by the way, when you come and you look at a tree, you don't go, look at that dirt. You go, look at that tree, right? But know this, the dirt is putting all of itself into making the tree beautiful and to produce. It's not about you and I. It's about you and I putting into Jesus and letting him produce. And Jesus is like, I want that that, that's what we're talking about. That's what we're looking for. And then we move to the end of Mark chapter 4, two years ago. Um, Jesus says, verse 35, on that day. Which day? The day of that teaching. By the way, just a note here. Mark, in the writing of his gospel, does not generally pay a, that big of attention. In other words, his objective is not to provide a very crisp, clean, chronological order of the telling of Jesus. Listen, he is telling something, and yet when he, he doesn't tag things together all the time. When he does tag events, pay attention, because they matter. And here's one where Jesus says, on that day, and then he says, let's go over to the other side. Which side? The other side. And the story goes on real quickly. They're going along. They did what Jesus said. They hadn't done anything wrong. A storm comes in, tosses the boat. They literally think they're going to die. And when you have professional fishermen in your boat and they think you're going to die, you know it's time to get worried, right? And that's what's happening. And in that time, they come to Jesus. He's asleep in the boat, ministry tired. And they come to him and he goes, don't you care? We talked about how often is that in our lives. We look at Christ and things come up and we really respond similarly. And Jesus gets up and that's one moment I don't want to be in that boat. 
Jesus stands up and he says, Siopa, Pefimoso, it's quiet, be still. And the wind and the waters go still. And then he turns his eyes to the guys. I would be so getting behind Peter at that moment. (laughs) And he talks with the guys and he says, where is your faith? By the way, he had been talking earlier that day all about what faith looks like and is not to look like. And then the guys in the boat, you can see at the very end of chapter 4, verse 41, they're like asking the right question. Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who is this guy? Lord, I just pray as we dig into chapter 5 here and continue the story that you would show how amazing you are. We are right in this sequence of events that Mark has put together to tell us about the authority of Jesus Christ. And Lord, sometimes we just get too familiar with you. And I just pray in this next event that happens on the other side that you would stun us, amaze us, awe us, and that we would respond as people amazed. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for the safety of bringing people here this morning. May right now, may we be all about you and your word and what you have to say. Uh, uh, all of you, Lord, more of you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, let's get some geographical bearings here, okay? Let's take a look at the Sea of Galilee here, and we've got a map of the Sea of Galilee. We're in the northern part of Israel. This is mainly the area where Jesus does ministry at uh, for a good portion of time, certainly in the beginning of the Gospel of Mark. Uh, When they were talking on the parable of the four soils, they were up on the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus then, uh, as we saw, verse 35, he says, let's go to the other side. That means probably somewhere southeasterly in that. Let's take a look at verse 1, chapter 5. Got your Bibles open there? Okay, here we go. Verse 1, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately, let's wait there, okay? Here we go, a couple things. Where are we at? Well, we see a few things in the text here. Mark chapter 4, Luke chapter 8, the accounts of this tell us that he's in the region of the Gerasenes. Uh, in that territory. In Matthew 8, in that account, it says we're in the area of the Gadarenes. Then if you look later in verse 20, 21, uh, right in verse 20, it says they're in the area of the Decapolis. The Decapolis is this area, as you can see uh, on the screen here. It's the southwestern part. They're somewhere down in the uh, southeastern part, excuse me, southeastern part of the Sea of Galilee, probably somewhere around the coastal city of Gergesi or the southeasterly area there and Gadarab. Listen, that's not the issue. Here's the issue. They are in Gentile territory. The Decapolis is Gentile territory. They've gone from Jewish territory to Gentile territory, and this is really one of the first times Jesus is doing some significant ministry in what kind of territory? 
Gentile territory. Just tag that back. It's important as we go through the story. Number two, what's the context that precedes their arrival? Well, all of Mark chapter 4 that we talked about, the parable of four soils, later that day, they get in the boat, they cross. Normally, it would take about two hours, but with the storm, we don't know how long it took. But we know this, they're on the other side of it. And hear me on this, this is important. It's all the same day. Okay? Just tag that. We'll find more. These are connecting events. Verse 1, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus stepped out of the boat, immediately, like bam, immediately there met him a man out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. So he teaches uh, uh, these parables, they get in the boat, they cross, bam, he gets out, and there's this uh, demon-possessed man that's on the other side, uh, some tomb-living, demon-possessed man. Doug, what does that kind of a guy really look like? Well, here's what's so cool, the text tells us. In fact, in my Bible, verses 3 through 5, I put in parentheses, because it tells us about this demon-possessed man. Let's learn about him. Verse 3, he lived among the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. So what does this guy look like? Here's a few things. He lived among the tombs. Among the tombs, that's darkness and death. How opposite of God's design is that? He's among the tombs, amongst the darkness and death. Uh, Also, he wreaked havoc. He was totally out of human control. Chains and shackles. By the way, why would they chain or shackle this guy? Because he's wreaking havoc on more than just himself. Otherwise, you just let the dude up in the mountains and who cares? But they're chaining him and shackling him and he's breaking out of that. Also, it talks about this, I'd sum it this way. It is a night and day literal living hell for this guy. Cutting himself with stones, crying out. Could you imagine being someone around this area and whenever you get close enough, you hear this up in the mountains and everybody knew who it was. Can we agree that this guy needs a savior? This guy cannot save himself. He needs someone to come and step into his life and bring some kind of complete change in his life that he's totally incapable of doing himself. By the way, that just kind of makes me think about a concept in Scripture called total depravity. Let's just think about this man's condition here for a little bit. This man's condition is all of our starting condition spiritually with the Lord. In fact, Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful and desperately sick. Who can understand it? 
Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, by the way, that's the passage that sets up, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves a gift of God. Here's what comes before that, and you were dead in your sins upon sins. And you were dead in your sins upon sins, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I also think of Romans chapter 3 where it talks about no one is righteous. No, no, no. No, not even one. No one understands. No one seeks God on their own. All have turned aside. No one does good. Not even one. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Their throat is an open grave. Isn't that interesting? They use their tongues to deceive. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Friends, as we go through this story, I would just ask that you tuck in the back of your mind. We are that man in many ways. In a condition before God without Christ. Total depravity plus Satan's deceitful, hunting down, destroying ways. We have no human derived ability to change it on our own. We cannot change a spiritual problem all on our own. Here in the story, all human attempts have failed. It's been a disaster. It's growing so. And this guy needs a savior to step into his life. And by the way, so do we. They came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Jump down to verse 6 where the story continues. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before Jesus, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you, I call you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Jesus was saying to him, very important, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Oh, friends, this is the coolest WWF spiritual smackdown ever. We've got to see what's going on. And the reason I spent the time on the context in this, because what happens? Jesus teaches about faith, and his disciples are there with him. They ask him, we don't understand what you just said. And he explains it to them. And then Jesus says, hey, guys, we need to go to the other side. By the way, all accounts, none of them tell the reason why. He just says, we need to go to the other side. And so, as faithful followers do, they did what he said. They got in the boat. The storm comes in. All that, you don't care. See, Opa Pefi Moso, who is this guy? And then they come to the other side and they land. And immediately, if you go through this, you really, what's taking place is Jesus is stepping out of the boat and he's going after the guy as the guy is coming after him. You see what I'm saying? Friends, know this. That is our Savior. Far too often we have this idea that Jesus is just this poor carpenter's son, hippie dude, out teaching, wearing sandals and long hair all day, and he's just very laid back like a British guy would be. <laughs> but that is not. That is not. The Jesus we see here. 
We see a Jesus that is going after. In fact, the more time I spend with this, I am convinced that when Jesus set up on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee, let's go to the other side, he knew exactly why. He was going down to meet this Gentile dude. And when they got out of the boat, he's going after, he's coming after, and smack down. Watch this. Jesus is verbally approaching the man, and this is all about authority on a mission. End of verse 7. In this, the, the, the man is saying, I adjure you. Boy, doesn't that sound kind of British? Uh, it's, I implore you by God, do not torment me. The demon, by the way, we'll find out here in just a second with the text, he's demon-possessed. The demon is saying this. How sad is this? A demon is using God's name to try and save his sorry hide. <laughs> I adjure you by God. Oh yeah, dude, like you have... Any ability to claim that God is in this for you. But that's what's going on. Jesus is on a mission. He is coming to this guy. There's a spiritual battle going on, friends, that has eternal ramifications. And Jesus is not reactive. He is proactive. That's my Savior. Be encouraged. Be hopeful. The Godhead is not three old men sitting on a Midwestern porch, tea in their hand, half asleep, drool coming out because they're waking up, unaware of what's going on. The Godhead is proactive in coming after us even. By the way, carry that all the way back to the four soils. What does the parable of the four soils say? The father, the farmer, is the one who sowed the seed. The soil didn't sow the seed. The Godhead sowed the seed. This is our Savior. And sometimes it's time for us to be more amazed by who he is. He's that awesome. And he's coming after He's entering our mess, by the way. He is entering our mess. If I would have been God, I would have been like, let's go to Lake Tahoe. (laughs) But God comes in and he enters our mess. Look at verse 9. And Jesus asked the guy, what is your name? Pause. So he didn't know his name? I I thought he knew everything. No, 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 understand this. Not only did he know the guy was there, not only did he know what was going on, not only did he say, let's go to the other side to get it, not only did he step out of the boat going after this guy, but he knew his name, but know this, the disciples and others, uh, those with him, didn't. And so he's asking for their name, and there's something in the name that speaks here. Listen, names exposed the name. They exposed the name. Names reveal things. Nameless anonymity allows for hiding. Hey, I was in business for 20 years, and I think that's one of the things that we're, you know, Tim and I really connect with in, in having come out of that career, business world career. And, and one of the things, I remember visiting churches, and there were times, and maybe that's you today, that you thought, hey, let's go through the snow again. This would be a great time to visit this church. And, and you come here, and you are here, and one of the things is, is you come in, and you want to be a bit nameless. You want to be a bit anonymous, because there's some wonderfulness in that. You just want to check what's going on, and that's fine. Been there, done that. 
But then there comes a point in time where namelessness needs to move on to being named because once you get a name out there, life becomes personal. You can move beyond the anonymity. And Jesus asks for the name, and so the guy responds. Uh, and Jesus asked him, what is your name? Verse 9, and he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Legion. A Roman legion comprised up to 6,000 men. Literally, the, the translation here would be, many are we. Here's what's going on. This man is a host of thousands of demons. That's what's happening here. That's what's going on in the whole situation. And I'll say this, what man or what even small group of men can take on a Roman legion? Uh, you're going down if that's the case. You can't do it alone. You can't even do it with 100 guys. You're still going down against 6,000. Well, let me bring it this way. What man, what person, what small group of people can take on a legion of demons? Uh, you're going to lose. Who can take on a legion of demons? Who can take on a legion of demons? Let's keep reading. Verse 9, and he asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for me are many. Verse 10, and he begged him earnestly to Jesus not to send them out of the country. We'll keep going. Verse 11, now a great herd of pigs. Why would there be pigs? That's right, we're in Gentile territory. Okay? And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they, plural, the demons, the legion, begged Jesus saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. You need to underline this next statement. Verse 13. So Jesus gave them permission. Are you with me on this? He gave thousands of demons permission. What does that tell you? Authority. Jesus has authority over the many. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out, entered the pigs and the herd, uh, numbering about how many? How many? 2,000. Rushed down the steep bank into the sea, drowned in the sea. There's a part of this is hilarious. Unless you're the owner, right? <laughs> Let's take a look. Jesus steps out of the boat. He's going after the guy. The guy's coming after him. You got this smackdown going on. And, and then, what, what are you going to do with us? What are you going to do with us? Into the pigs, into the pigs. Essentially, Jesus gives them permission. Get out of here. And what does thousands of demons do when Jesus tells them what to do? They leave. By the way, why didn't Jesus just uh, send them to eternal damnation at this time? Answer, because it's not time, but that time is coming. But he sends 2,000 pigs off the cliff. Pigs can fly. That's supposed to be a joke. <laughs> and that's the event. And that's the event. Uh, but the story does not stop here. There's two responses. The story goes on and tells about two kinds of responses to this whole event of Jesus and his authority. Response number one is this, please leave. Jesus, please leave. Verse 
Verse 14, the herdsmen fled. The herdsmen, they were essentially the employees of the owner carrying over these hogs. It was their responsibility to take care of them. And if anything bad happened, their neck was on the chopping block. So they're scared. They run off. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And while they're doing that, I think is the idea, people came to see what it was that happened. What happened? Verse 15, and they came to Jesus, and they saw the demon-possessed man. And notice how Mark puts in here, the one that had had the legion, just in case we get him confused. Okay, like, it's really important you understand this. The people are coming, they're seeing the demon-possessed man. I mean, the demon-possessed man we were just talking about that lives up in the hills, crying all the time, shackled, breaking those, that guy. Look at this. They came, and what did they see? They saw him sitting there clothed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described it to them, what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. I don't know. I'm just really interested to know if that was part of the disciples. Like someone comes up, you know, in a crowd, like, what, what just happened? And the disciples are like, i, I got to tell you this. This is crazy. This is what happened. Verse 17, and so what do they do with all this? The demon man is sitting there, that was not normal, clothed, that was not normal, in his right mind, that was not normal. How do they respond? Verse 17, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Loved ones, Jesus Christ is a disturbing presence. Jesus Christ is a disturbing presence. He was in the storm that happened at the end of Mark 4, and he is here now in this whole event. Why did the people want Jesus to leave? Well, I think there's a couple good reasons for that. Number one is fear. The fear that they were experiencing. I mean, think about it. It's like, well, who, who can do this? We've known this guy up in the mountains causing havoc for years or however long this has been. And we know this guy well. And now we see him sitting there clothed in his right mind. I am telling you, folks, something just crazy, spiritual power, something just happened here, right? And that is an uncomfortable place to be. How do you process that? And in the reality of them processing that, for some people it's like, please just go away. The disciples kind of responded that way in the storm. Jesus, don't you care? And then they're like, who is this God? And here again, the same thing has happened. People are like, what's going on? I don't know what to do with this. Please leave. Fear is a driving force here. The second thing is asset loss. Asset loss. Jesus just destroyed how many hogs? 2,000. Now think about that. That's lost business. That's lost assets. That's lost investment. That's lost livelihood. That's lost stuff. A lot of stuff. I'm not a farmer, but we have a few that are in our church. I'm sure some of you are around here as well. And uh, I asked a couple of our guys, so just give me a round number. What's a hog cost? 
And so what I was told is the round number would be right around $500. Okay, that's a nice number to work with. 500 times 2,000. Let's see how many zeros carried. Five, two times. How much money is that? That's a million dollars. A million dollars just went flying off of the cliff. Back in the day with my business, had someone destroyed a million dollars of inventory? I'm just going to tell you right here, straight up with you, I would not have been happy. Right? And so there's a part of this that we can understand to a certain point. A million dollars just went off. And friends, I will say this. It is understandable why people get stuck in fear of the disturbing presence of Jesus. And if you are at that place, it's understandable. And sometimes there's a reaction for people just to say, leave, I just want to get away from this. Good for you, but not for me. Boy, does that not sound like soil number one? Friends, I'm telling you, all this comes tied back. Please leave, friends. Stuck in the horizontal leads to blindness in the vertical. Stuck in the horizontal leads to blindness of the vertical. Yes, yes, they lost a million dollars. But know this, they just are about to lose the opportunity to spend time with the Colossians 1 creator of all things. They just lost a million dollars, yes. They just lost a whole lot of stuff, yes. But hear me, friends. The storms of life and the stuff of life are tools by our God to help us See him, understand him, minister for him, and to give him glory. And how often we hold them as our stuff. No, 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 it's my circumstances. No, 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 it's my stuff. And in it all, how often have we lost the opportunity to have some time with the Creator? And I would just ask, might this be you? Or you have been at a place where it's like, Jesus, you are a disturbing presence. You're messing with my life. You're messing with my stuff. Please leave. Might that be you? I just want to lovingly say this. I really think I can understand. I think we all can understand for that because Jesus Christ is a disturbing presence because of the authority of who he is. But hear me, friends. Don't push away the creator. Don't push away the savior. Don't push away the one who has the authority that has entered our mess to redeem. Don't miss it. By the way, there's something else in this. Verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat. Whoa, 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 whoa. You go and read the other accounts of this in the other Gospels. And they're even more clear. Here's the deal. They've been up on the northwest corner. Jesus has done the teaching of the parable. He says, let's go to the other side. He doesn't tell why, but he's on a mission. They cross the storm, comes up. Oh! going to die. Don't you care? Uh, I'm in control. 
They get to the other side. Jesus steps out of the boat. He's going for this man. This demon man comes down. He casts the demons out. Oink, 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 oink. He's there. Everybody's stunned. People are coming in like, what just went down? And some of the people begged him, please just leave us. And what does he do? He gets back into the boat and he leaves. Warning. Jesus doesn't stay where he's not wanted. I think I know, you know what I'm talking about here. Uh, Jesus here in this, it's like, listen, uh, I'm not wanted? Okay, I'm going to leave. And they just missed an opportunity with the Creator. Revelation 3 says, yes, Jesus stands at the door and knocks. But know this, he doesn't bash the door down. He doesn't barge through the door down. He's knocking, knocking, knocking. Jesus stands at the door and knocks, and a conditional statement, if anyone would go and open the door, he's knocking, knocking, and those people at that point in time, they're going, please stop the knocking and leave. And in this event in Mark chapter 4, Jesus is like, okay. Second response, please, may I be with you. Please, may I be with you. By the way, friends, I just want to make this note on the last statement. I am not talking about losing your salvation. It's not what we're talking about. We're talking about have you asked the Redeemer in. Okay? Response number two, please may I be with you. Verse 18, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed, you know that guy? The man who had been possessed, that's a great thing. Past tense can be a wonderful thing. He had been possessed with demons, begged Jesus that he might be with him. Note in this, he's not asking, hey Jesus, can you hang around so I can ponder you a little bit more? He's not asking in this whole scenario about the idea of, of, hey, Jesus, can I just like put you on uh, the shelf as my genie man? He's not asking Jesus, Jesus, you are like a really good luck charm. Can I hang around you to be my good luck charm? He's not asking for that. Jesus, you are not my religious guru to admire. Uh, Jesus, it's not you're a valuable asset I think I want to manage in my life. No, no, he just wants this. Can I be with you? This is a relationship. The others are like, please leave. This guy is like, may I be what with you? With you. May I be with you. By the way, do you know Jesus that way? Not knowledge about, not information about, but in relationship with. By the way, God in the very beginning created Adam and Eve and God was with them them. You go to the end of the story of the Bible, to Revelation, and it tells us in chapter 21 that God will reside with His people, with them. It started out with, it ended with, and Jesus here is coming to be with us to take care of the problem of sin so that we can be with Him. 
The whole story is simply this. God created us to glorify him and be with him, but sin came into the picture, and yet God came after it and is bringing redemption back. Finally and fully, friends, may I be with you. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will go in, and I will eat with him or her. I will reside with him or her. John 1.12, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Children of God. Not friends, not just distant acquaintances, but children. How much more with can that be? And then Mark 4 verse 20, the fourth soil, but those that are sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word, receive it, and bear fruit. Bearing fruit is a with reality. Amazed by Jesus' people want to be with Jesus. And before I close up here, I would just suggest this. How amazed you are with Jesus tells you how much you want to be with Jesus. If you're not very amazed by Jesus... Why spend a lot of time or care about being with Jesus? But people who are amazed with Jesus want to be with Jesus. You see what I'm saying? People who want to be with Jesus are people who step back and just go, Oh my Lord, what you have done. You have redeemed me. You have positioned me, Ephesians chapter 2. You have saved me. I can be with you. People that are amazed want to be with. People that are not very amazed. Hmm. Sure. I'll be with. In direct correlation to my amazement with him. Are you amazed with Jesus? No, let, me, let me almost restate that. Are you stunned by Jesus? Or so familiar that you've lost the amazement? Very transparently, sometimes, I'm so familiar that I've lost the amazement. How about you? The story goes on. Verse 19. And he did not permit him to do that. I could go into a whole talk about, you know, not everyone's called to vocational ministry. But do know this, there will be a day where we will be with the Lord. If you are in Christ, there will be a day where we will be with the Lord forever. But right now, we have a mission. Look what Jesus tells this guy, and he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends, tell them how much the Lord has done for you, and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away. And sure enough, 
He began to proclaim in the Decapolis. By the way, Decapolis is a region of ten cities, not just in one city, but in the whole region of the Decapolis, how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Something for you to consider, theologians. Might this have been the first Gentile missionary? (laughs) Might this have been one of the first Gentile missionaries sent out by Jesus to go and tell? Not stay with the vocational group, but go tell how much the Lord has done. Just go tell how much the Lord has done and how he has had mercy on you. You know, sometimes we get all weirded out with the whole evangelism, sharing our faith with other people thing. A couple just quick little lessons from this guy. It doesn't matter how long you've been in Christ. This guy, one minute, he is demon-possessed by a legion of demons. A few minutes later, Jesus has said, go tell people about me. Hey, I want to let you know, if you have an in Christ story, a time where you've come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have a story to proclaim. And sometimes we think we have to have this crazy wild stuff. No, just go tell your story, not someone else's, your story. Also along with this, it doesn't require training. Jesus didn't say, come on over to the Evangelism 101 class. I'm not anti that at all. I think they can be very helpful. Jesus didn't say, now let me sit down with you and share how you can share the four spiritual laws or or the bridge illustration or things like that. Jesus just said this, go tell what the Lord has done in your own life. Just tell that. He had never been to a class. He's never been to seminary. Oh, and by the way, one other thing. It's not like he had, you have to have a certain trait, like a certain personality or a certain spiritual gifting. Like, I'm not an extrovert. I can't do that. I'm not a public speaker. I can't do that. Or, or here's one. I don't have the gift of evangelism. I can't do that. Welcome to the team. Straight. Welcome to the team on that one. But we don't have to have that. In this thing, Jesus is like, just go tell what the amazing thing that Jesus Christ has done in your life, folks. Don't be freaked out in fear. Be amazed. We talk about what we're amazed. By the end of today, there's going to be a lot of talk about all the amazing things that happened in the Super Bowl and the commercials to come. We talk about what we're interested in and amazed in. How amazed are you with Jesus? I mean, let me ask it this way. What would Jesus say about you and I with that? What would Jesus say about how amazed we are with him? How enthralled we are? Sometimes our familiarity loses the amazement. And today I just want to call us back. Oh, friends, this is our Savior. Booyah. This is our Savior. On a mission, entering our mess. Redeeming people, giving us a mission. Oh, might we be more amazed. Oh, might I be more amazed in Jesus Christ.